You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. It's time for straight talk about diversity, frank questions, honest answers, and real insights. It's Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, with your hosts, Sadika Bodka of Nikea Diversity Consulting and Anthony Arrington of Top Rank Professional and Executive Search Firm. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is a Corridor Business Journal podcast. On today's episode, Hugh Eckberg, President and CEO of CRST. I just think there's a lot of things that have been in place for a long time that many people, me included, don't see. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to get better at is seeing and understanding and then understanding from that point. Now that we know I understand, others understand the problem. How do we fix the problem? We'll be right back. Green State Credit Union is proud to sponsor Diversity Straight Up. Established in 1938, Green State is Iowa's largest financial cooperative serving nearly 250,000 members of all walks of life. Green State's products include checking accounts, loans, investments, insurance, commercial services, mortgages, and credit cards. Profits are returned to members in the form of better rates on deposits and loans. We encourage you to learn more at greenstate.org. Green State is federally insured by the NCUA and is an equal housing opportunity lender. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is also sponsored by Alliant Energy. Welcome to another episode of the Corridor Business Journal's Diversity Straight Up. I'm Sarika Bakta, one of your hosts. And I'm Anthony Arrington. And uh, we're looking for a great show today. We're going to get under the hood and have a, a great conversation with Hugh Eckberg. CEO of CRST, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, but before we do that, Sarah, guys, I want to talk about a little bit on my mind today. Something's on my mind. I've uh, been struggling trying to understand the challenge of the voter rights, the voting laws. We've seen a record number of voting laws that have been passed in this country since the election, and it's clear to me that they are appointed uh, and been created to suppress the vote um, and being disguised as uh, voter, voter, uh, voter protection, voter laws, protecting the integrity of the vote. But it's clear through the process and the way that it's happening that it feels to me that it's voter suppression. And it's just a struggle for me to, to deal with that. Just wondering what you think about it. One of the key litmus tests for designing any processes is to really ask, is it fair? Is it just? Yep. If it's not, it's not going to get us the equal outcomes that we're looking for. And I think that's where my mind goes to yeah. is the equity piece. If we're looking at wanting to minimize barriers, is that what is accomplishing? And so I think that's where my head goes right. when I'm thinking about designing processes and being born in India, the largest democracy, I've heard stories there as well. Right. Raised here in America, second largest democracy in the world, right? Think as the seconds. And I think about access. If you want your voice to be heard, if you want people's voices to be heard in a process, are we creating more barriers or are we minimizing getting right. rid of those roadblocks? We should be increasing the access. If we all, in a democracy, if we all want to be 
treated fairly and we all want to have an opportunity to, to use our voice and our vote, we should be expanding the opportunities to vote. Now, if we're constricting times and locations and polling places where you can vote if, and using and using voter uh, cheating as voters as a, as a reason when there's no evidence anywhere of that, that is a struggle. And, and that is very, very hard. And we could take that a number of directions, but when I, when I can't see the justification from an equity standpoint, it becomes a struggle to me. And it's clear to me that it's, there's no equity in this, in, the, in a lot of these laws being passed. It's my opinion. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, and I always go back to the processes and yep. look at if it's equitable. Yeah. If it's not, then I think yeah. we need to continue to have further conversation and dialogue yeah. to ensure that the equity piece yeah. of it is in play. Yeah. And I know that uh, we can have a lot of conversations. Yeah. I'm a pre-law poli sci major. <laughs> so so we, we, we could go all day with that, Sadika. You know, and it's a, it's a tough conversation. So, but, but let's get on with our guests. We've got a great guest today. Say guests, what's on your mind? Well, we have with us Hugh Eckberg, President and CEO of CRST. Welcome, Hugh. Thank you very much, Sarika. I'm just going to read a little bit of bio of Hugh. Hugh was appointed President and CEO of CRST in October 2018 after joining the company in 2016 as Group President and COO of CRST's Western Region of Operating Companies. He brings over 25 years of strategic business leadership to the CRST family of companies. He last served as President of Kitchen and Bath Americas for Kohler Company. Eckberg holds a Master of Science degree in Engineering Management from Northwestern University's McCormick School of Engineering and MBA in Marketing and Organizational Design from Northwestern University's J.L. Kellogg Graduate School of Management. He earned his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Welcome, welcome, Hugh, to our show. Appreciate it. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thanks to both of you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Well, Hugh, tell us a little bit and our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, how you landed here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We probably don't have enough time for that whole story, but um, basically <laughs> a Midwestern kid. So I was um, born in Youngstown, Ohio. Didn't live there long. My dad was in the steel business. So um, I grew up um, in Chicago, the south suburbs, Homewood, for any uh, Homewood Flossmoor Vikings out there. Mm. Uh, then I went to high school <laughs> in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so my dad got transferred from a steel mill in Chicago to a steel mill in Cleveland. So I went to high school in Cleveland um, and then uh, went off to MIT. And my career has taken me many places. I've worked in several in industries. Most of my career is in manufacturing consumer products, but um, uh, five years in running a large construction company and now five years almost uh, in the trucking industry. What made you want to do that switch? You know, I think the opportunity to work with CRST and, you know, getting to, to know the Smith family. So those of you that are from the Cedar Rapids area and know John and Diane and, and the kind of people they are, it's a great opportunity to work for them and be given the the huge responsibility and honor to, to run the business that they built over the years. It's a great company and uh, lots of opportunity to grow it and make it a more exciting and uh, prosperous company. Well, let's, let's have a little bit more about you. We, we uh, one of the, obviously the shows about diversity um, and equity and inclusion and engagement. So we like to like to learn a little bit more, our, our guests and their backstory. And one of the things we always like to talk about is aha moments. And um, we always advise clients, you know, that a transformation in this diversity and equity inclusion space starts internally with self-respection and self-reflection, thinking about things over your personal or professional life that have impacted you. So can you tell us about maybe an aha moment in your life, uh, be it personal or professional, that really made you think uh, more broadly about diversity pre-George Floyd? 
Yes. yes. <laughs> so I think there, there's two and they're, and they're similar uh, and, and they were a while ago. And so I think what's important about the conversation we're having today is that, you know, this topic is becoming much more um, heightened and important, which is a good thing. We all need to recognize that this is a real problem to be solved um, and get after it. But the experiences I had is in, in one of my early um, jobs, I was with Procter & Gamble working in one of their factories in, outside of Boston, in the south side of Boston. And after work one day, one of my coworkers and I, Helen Hamilton and I, went to uh, a bar after work. Helen was a black woman that I'd worked with for a couple of years, and we walked into a bar, and I just found everybody staring at us. And it was, it was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and I said to Helen, I said, did you see that? And she said, did I see what? I said, everyone was staring at us. And she said, well, what did you expect? Mm. And I kind of said, well, well, I didn't expect mm-hmm. that. And she goes, well, you know, and, and she wasn't, it was interesting. She wasn't really upset and bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Her statement was just matter of fact, well, that's what happens. And then I had a similar experience down in Dallas many years later with a friend of mine that I went to Kellogg with, um, a guy named Daryl Benton. Daryl and I were out, I was down there on business. We got together, had dinner. Again, went out to a you know cool little you know jazz bar, walked in, and same thing. Here's two men walking in, but nonetheless, a black man and a white man, and same thing. People just stared at me and at us. And I said the same thing to Daryl. Did you notice that? And he goes, notice what? And I said, well, we had people just looking at us. And he smiled and looked at me and said, Hugh, how often, how many times a week are you the, are you the only white guy in the room? And I said, never. He goes, well, I'm the only black guy in the room, kind of every day. Huh. And again, his expression wasn't. He wasn't upset because this, this is just kind of the way things are. And both those experiences, whereas I really was, uh, was impressed by and respected my friends even more because they, they weren't really mad about it. But the point they said, well, this is just the way it is. This right. is what we deal with every day. Um, and so now that this topic has become much more heightened, I guess my point is I know there's a problem to solve. But again, if you can see me on camera, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white man who grew up, you know, basically middle class. And I know there's issues out there, but I also know I don't see them and understand them. And mm-hmm. I think that's my responsibility as a leader is to make sure I get better at truly seeing them, accepting that it's really there. And then how do we address it? Yeah. Do you carry those thoughts in the, in the back of your mind, those, those incidents? Do they, they come up, you know, and every once in a while and... Kind of give you that that reminder. Yeah, well, they come up a lot, come up a lot more often now, quite yeah. honestly, right? Yeah. Because this is a, a much more, I say it's heightened, but it's important. This topic needs to be out there. We need to address it. We need to say this is real. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the systemic racism, do I think it exists? I think it does. I don't think it's intentional. I mean, there, there probably is some. I mean, we all know that. But mm. I, I just think there's a lot of things that have been in place for a long time that many people, me included, don't see. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to get better at is seeing and understanding and then understanding from that point. Now that we know I understand, others understand the problem. How do we fix the problem? It's so interesting hearing the stories of your friends because I grew up in the same manner. Actually, I spoke a different language, ate different food, practiced a different religion. And I had my mom that would wear the bindi on her forehead and walk in public places. And I would walk like you know, five, 10 steps behind as I was so embarrassed because that's all we were used to, people staring. So I get, I just got used to it. Mm-hmm. So now if I'm in a room where I am not the only Indian, to me that feels weird because I'm not used <laughs> to seeing that. And I think that intentionality, that if you're in a meeting or you're called a meeting, were you intentional of ensuring that diverse representation is there? Yeah. So yeah. we've seen uh, time and time again, a lot of the industry studies in the trucking industry reflects that drivers are looking for higher pay, signing bonuses, and more miles. And uh, 
I know that recently CRST announced also the largest increase, one-time increase in your company's history for your over-the-road driver's pay package. Um, I think it was a change in this package will increase their base earnings by over 30% or so. And yet some transportation companies are still experiencing a high turnover rate and some companies for qualified you know, drivers, they're still experiencing like up to 75% turnover rate. And the key thing that they're attributing that to is culture. Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that the industry average turnover for the last 15, 20 years is over 85%. So it's an industry that has very, very high turnover and always has. So that Mm -hmm. hasn't changed. Um, And and a part of that just is, you know, uh, the opportunity to think, can, you know, can I make a little more money driving for that company? Or can I get a different lane so I'm home more often? So there's lots of decisions that drive into a, a driver changing jobs. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no doubt there's some firms, you know, there's some carriers that have much lower um, driver turnover and much higher driver retention. And I think the most common factor there is those drivers have these very consistent lanes and it's a lifestyle balance, right? So there's some parts of trucking a true over the road, long haul um, driver. That driver may be on the road for 15, 26 days at a time before they get home. And there's some drivers at home every night. So a lot of the choice to to move is tied to um, the work experience and and the job they do. But so CRST is a team company. One of our biggest fleets is teams. Right. And you have teams, so trucks can go a long way in a week because there's limits on how many hours a driver can drive a day. It's 11 hours behind the wheel a day on a 14-hour workday. So if you want that truck to be able to drive more hours in a week, you put two drivers on it. But by definition, that truck is going longer distances and it's, it's on the road longer. Now, we have many drivers that love that. They want this for years and years. But a lot of drivers come into the industry. It's the first thing they do. And they decide, well, I'm glad I learned it here, but I want to go get a job where I can be home nightly. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different experiences in the different types of work drivers do. And I think that drives a lot more of the, the turnover. But as it relates today, even with every trucking company giving very significant rate increases, and I, by the way, I personally think it's a very good thing because... Professional drivers deserve that. It's a it's a very difficult job, and it's a very important job to our economy. So they need to be properly compensated. It's been it's it's been able to happen because the number the shortage of drivers in the industry is at an all time high. So there's not nearly enough trucks to haul all the goods that need to be hauled. It's just economic supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shippers now have to pay more for every load because there's not enough trucks to carry their loads so right there's there's not enough supply of capacity shippers pay more with the higher rates you can pay the drivers more so it's actually been a good thing for drivers and that'll hold so drivers compensation will stay that high but we just need to find a way to get more drivers into the market and it's not just not just trucking right now we all know it in in every industry people can't hire today and you know and there's you give lots of reasons why you think that's the case but you can you know, there's some benefits right now being given for unemployment that are quite nice where it's, you know, it's, you can be making the equivalent of thirty four, $35,000 a year on unemployment. So, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's certainly, I, I think I, uh, I saw a story that the, the unemployment rate or the, the payments right now are averaging about 16 bucks an hour. So the question is, why aren't we raising our rates, minimum wage in the country? That's a whole nother story. Um, but um, going back to one of the things that, that Sarah and I were reading about is, um, Organizations are really trying to focus on culture, defining culture, what that means, and how to make sure your workplace culture is conducive so that drivers want to stay because we're reading, you know, that obviously pay, 
bonuses, those sorts of things, miles, mm-hmm. and uh, work-life balance, being home, uh, help. Um, but I know as a, as an employer, you know, or, excuse me, as a as a recruiter in this space, I talk to a lot of clients about um, their work culture, and that the statistics show that people don't leave companies for money; they leave bosses and they leave cultures. Do you hear about that in your field or, or at CRST specifically? Do you, do you track that in exit interviews? Oh, we or, absolutely or? do track it. Again, at, at a you know industry average of 85% turnover yeah. with drivers. <laughs> and, you know, if you look across our, our entire fleet, yeah. independent contracts and company drivers, that's 8,000 people, right? Mm-hmm. That's just a lot of turnover. So yeah. do you get an exit interview with every driver that leaves? No, you do not. No. Every employee that leaves, yes, we do, right? Yeah. And I can tell you that I've been, I read every one of them. And for the employees leaving, most of them are leaving for, you know, they're saying, hey, right. I really enjoyed my time at CRST. I'm leaving for a personal reason mm-hmm. or I got an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. Right. right? Or I, you know, maybe it's yeah. I didn't see the career advancement opportunities and I've, I've got an opportunity, mm-hmm. but not um, I have to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the driver's side, I'm, I'm, you know, you can go out and indeed anywhere and look and hear and read negative things. Oh, yeah. I also read lots of positive things. I had Absolutely. a couple email exchanges with drivers this week. Right. That were you know, asking me questions, yep. but they were talking about how much they enjoy being part of CRST. So yeah. we are very, very focused on having a very healthy and strong work culture and right. making our organization realize that the truth of the, of the matter in our industry, the driver is the heartbeat of the business. Mm-hmm. The driver is the core to our success. And we need to make the drivers make sure they understand that. And yeah. we need to behave in a way and operate in a way that that's what they truly experience. Yeah. What do you think is going to be the crucial steps for you and your leadership as you start exploring this? What are some key things that would be of value to you? Because again, there's other leaders that are in the same position as you. What do you think would be valuable to help you on this journey? So as I think about it now, it, it comes down to it, you know, us, which we're on the verge of doing, making a commitment to addressing this as a real problem that needs to be solved. And I want to be very, I don't know if we'll call it careful or cautious or prescriptive, that we don't get on the path of the, the, you know, the routine of the month. Hey, we're mm-hmm. going to go try something. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about it, but it doesn't stick. And then it, it doesn't work and, and you don't think about it. So we're going to be prescriptive and we're going to make a declaration that we understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion is not just a problem. More importantly, it's an opportunity. And we as a leadership team need to commit to seeing it, understanding it, and then finding a way to solve the problems and seize the opportunities to make CRST a better company. So right now, as I've said, I, I know there's things out there that we could could and should change, but we may not see them right now. So our first commitment is to commit to seeing them, understanding them, mm-hmm. and then making those changes. Great, great. But, but the declaration will be a clear declaration as we go through our strategic mm-hmm. refresh process where all the employees of CRST will see a statement from leadership that this is something we are committed to understanding and improving. Hugh, do you feel that uh, the value systems that you have currently um, allows for that alignment with equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement? Absolutely. I, I, I honestly do believe that this, this will not be anything that faces resistance. I, I think the key is it needs to have focus mm-hmm. and direction. So I, I don't think it'll be resistance. I don't think that people will question it. I, I think it'll be something that everyone looks at and says, this is a way for us to be better. Well, I appreciate you um, answering that. I know that sometimes with some of our clients that sometimes they have to go back and assess their value systems and um, really take a fresh look to it and see whether or not it is really being very clear in terms of driving the equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement principles. 
Alliant Energy is a place where I can create the future, where my skills, creativity, and new ideas make a better tomorrow. I help deliver the energy powering moments that matter to you. It's where we care about the environment and our neighbors, a place where my talents and skills grow. My job isn't a job, it's my passion, my place, my purpose, because I am energy. See how you can put your energy to work at AlliantEnergy.com slash careers. Well, let's kind of shift gears to our next segment here. That's uh, what's, what's on our listeners' mind. I wonder what our listeners are thinking right now. Um, we get, we get uh, questions uh, from around the world from, from listeners, and uh, so we have a question. We just pull up the next question. It has nothing to do with trucking. It could just be anything. And so this is our question. We're hoping you're able to answer it. This is from Jyoti uh, from Ohio. And uh, GLT, I'm not sure if it's uh, what gender. Uh, I work for a mid-sized tech company in Ohio. There's a lot of data that shows diversity is good for business, yet my leadership is not on board. What can I do to make them realize it's the right thing to do and it's good for business? This is interesting. And I go back to remember you and I shared that Harvard Business Review article Mm -hmm. where there was a, a research project done that said, if you try to justify this strictly as return on investment, project, it won't succeed. It will only succeed if everyone understands that this is just going to make you a better company and that um, having a culture um, that recognizes the value of being open-minded, being creative, being thoughtful and inclusive, those are the cultures that are most likely to have a diverse workforce because people that are diverse, and again, diversity can be, you know, you, you know, men and women, black, you know, and brown and you know, all of these different ethnical <laughs> yeah. back, ethnic backgrounds or racial backgrounds, but just different thinking as well. But my belief is that the only way you can really get there is to, one, you can look at statistics, and the statistics are pretty clear that companies that do have better diversity, particularly in the leadership organizations, outperform. So mm-hmm. that those statistics, I think, are pretty straightforward. But to make the change, I think that the <coughs> leadership has to say, this is going to make us a better company and we're going to be a better company because we're bringing in better people with better ideas and different ideas to move the business forward. We, we agree with that too. That's it. So we, we were going to answer, but we, we want our guests to answer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I was having this conversation with someone the other day about uh, swelling from the ground up versus from the top down. And, and I think there was a misinterpretation of what that meant. This isn't trickle down. This is leadership has to be on board because leadership has to be able to take the arrows for whatever reasons there may be as we're going on this journey and they have to walk the talk. And we talk a lot about um, leaders who walk out the door, they have that passion and they walk out the door with that plan and that passion with them. So it, it, we're big believers in that. Yeah. Good. And I wouldn't really say that you're taking arrows if you're trying to drive this journey, right? I, I look at I it like as a arrows. positive, it's an opportunity. If you know your value system as a leader, you're going to walk that talk. Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, for Jyoti, creating the business case, you can have it organically here, but you definitely need a strategic Mm -hmm. and intentional from the top. But if your team and talent and your stakeholders, I would say, Jyoti, get some external stakeholders on board and clients and say, this is what you value. Put a little squeeze um, because again, yeah, the data is all out there. No longer about the data, data, right? But more important, (laughs) you got to get those champions that are going to tell the story. Absolutely. Exactly. This is more than a math problem, right? right? This is about driving a a better, stronger business. Yeah, absolutely. Because you've got a better, stronger team. Yeah. And and by arrows, and you and I have seen this, we've we've seen, you know, 
leaders who are afraid of going on this journey because there's this fear of uh, may lose business if I focus on this area, may do this. It's important that there's a, there's risk in every everything we do, and so. Um, Yep, you can yep. lose in one area, but you can gain yep. other market gain share. Absolutely. I think that's important to be able to look at um, drivers of diversity. Well, Jyoti, you definitely inspired us to have a conversation yes. around this right now. <laughs> Listeners, please continue to send your comments, questions, and concerns over to info at diversitystraightup.com as we love to hear from you. Now, Hugh, we're at the fun part of our show here as we wrap <laughs> <Uh-oh>. up. Um, <laughs> I know you went to a lot of amazing, you know, schools. I don't know if you played any sports or not. I did. <laughs> <laughs> We're, um, this is a diversity thumbball. Um, it has a lot of different prompts and questions on it, as you can see. So what we're going to do is we're just going to have a little fun catch and play here. And um, if I throw it at you, wherever your thumb lands, usually he's like one or the other thumb. <laughs> usually, mine usually ends together, has small hands. Just read that question and prompt it out loud and just answer it. Right. Okay? Yep. And then toss it on to the next person. We're going to play with you. You ready? Yes. Yeah. Don't <laughs> hit the microphone. <laughs> I'm doing damage. I always do damage somehow. In what ways can we support people with physical disabilities? That's, that's a great question. I think, you know, there's a very obvious answer. Just make sure they have easy and equitable access to anything that they need to get to in the building. But I think most importantly, it's to realize that that, that physical um, disability says nothing about their ability as a, whether it be a leader, whether it be a thinker, whether it be an individual contributor, it has nothing to do with their ability. Great, great. I, I could elaborate on it just a little bit. I remember a story I, with a client of mine I had and, and um, went to visit them and was looking at their facilities and looking at a way uh, to have a, a gentleman who was a veteran um, work there. He had a back problem. He needed to sit down about every hour and a half. He couldn't stand. And uh, all it took was a, probably a couple hundred dollars for them to, to get a chair because there were high computers. And the reason that they didn't want to do that is there was a, they felt that that wouldn't be fair to the rest of the team. So it was a mindset. They're not thinking of Equity. it's already unfair for right. this individual because of a physical issue. Plus, they served our country, by the way. <laughs> um, a couple hundred bucks, you would have had a great employee and a veteran. And um, it's just a mindset. So yeah, I think that's that equity thing, right? That, yeah. That would have been equitable because what you're doing is everyone else has the ability to be comfortable at work yes. by sitting in the chair the employer provides because they probably have a nice chair at their desk. It, yeah. it just so happens that this person needs yeah. a different type of chair or a different type right. of desk set up to have an equitable work experience. Right, mm-hmm. right, yep. All right. Well, whoever who he throws it at. Although I know I can drive a truck now, even with my short uh-huh. height, right, Hugh? What would make your community more inclusive? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, lots oh. of things. Um, but I would say what's happening um, outside the walls from an entertainment perspective? Um, are there good places to eat? Um, where can I get my hair done? Um, where does Hugh hang out? Is it, is it fun there? I, I, I'm a big believer um, that to make communities more inclusive, we have to celebrate everything that's good about our community and every culture. Um, and when we're able to do that and do that together, and um, Sarka, you and I talk about this, bigger cities, they may have a uh, Chinatown or the Little, Little Italy, um, but are they staying segregated? Are they segregating themselves? Or are they inviting other people from outside of that culture into their community? So I think more of that uh, creates more of an inclusive community. So I haven't had that one yet. Yes, you have not. I don't think so. You ready? Yes. 
Oh, Anthony <laughs> made me reach. Oh, all right. A time you shared an unpopular idea. Have I had this question? I don't, I don't think you've had that one yet. <laughs> a time you shared an unpopular idea. Okay, well, this goes back to my dining room table during the holidays. My grandma um, was a freedom fighter for Mahatma Gandhi during the India's uh, independence. And um, growing up, I grew up in a household where against Muslims, um, anybody that, you know, practiced um, Islam was not really looked positively upon. Uh, my family practices Hinduism as a faith. Um, after the partition happened, uh, there was a big bloodbath that happened in India. And so friends against friends, family against family. And so India split into two. And uh, many in Pakistan, predominantly uh, Muslims, practiced Islam. India practices many religions. Um, but one of the predominant one is um, Hinduism. My grandma is still alive today, 95 years old. And um, so in our dining room tables during the holidays and whenever we have conversations, this comes up. And I said that I, I can sympathize with everything that you've been through. I can't continue to perpetuate something that I don't believe in. And so for me, that is where um, that unpopular idea is. Why yeah. can't we just treat people in a very equitable, equitable manner? Not everybody is the same. And so it's an unpopular idea, yeah. I know, but it's something that I don't want to perpetuate, nor do I want to perpetuate into the next generation with my children. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know a lot about you. I don't think I knew that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a really, really fun time. Thank you so much, Hugh. We appreciate you spending few minutes with us today, really giving your perspective on equity, diversity, inclusion, and telling a little bit about your backstory. And I hope we, uh, hope we served you well. I, I hope the, the, the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and was able to, to take a few nuggets. Are there any last comments, uh, any last tips for our listeners that uh, you could say as a leader that would uh, help them in guiding their ships and their organizations uh, from an equity, diversity, and inclusion standpoint? Or their trucks. Or their trucks. <laughs> their trucks. Yes, or their yeah. trucks. I don't know that I'd go as far to say that I've got some big, uh, powerful tip other than, you know, where I am today. I mean, I, th I think this is something I've always recognized needs to be a be addressed, but I'm, I'm in a different state now. And I think it's because this has just become a hotter topic. You can't avoid this topic. And that's a good thing, even though it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And I think the only thing I'm doing that I think is going to be valuable for our company and, and, and for this community is just recognizing there is a problem and that we have to all find a way to see it and understand it and then solve it. I like what you just said there, that we have to all find a way to, to understand it. I think sometimes in this space when we talk about these challenges we're having, particularly today, that there tends to be a defensive mechanism that it's not me, I didn't do that, I'm not that way, I, I. And, and it's never really a Hugh problem or a Seneca problem or an Anthony problem. It's an us challenge that we want to work with. And know? I think you're hitting a key point there, Anthony, and that's that often when this topic comes up and, and you say there is a problem, people take it personally. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, no, I don't, I don't do that. I'm not a racist or whatever it may be. And that statement isn't that that's the case. No one's claiming that right. know, someone's overtly trying to be a problem. Right. But my point of view is there is a problem mm -hmm. that many of us don't see and understand. Yeah. And we need to see it and understand it if we're going to change it. And I'll always believe what MLK always said is that silence is as much of an issue. Yes. 
being silent, not using your voice is just as much of an issue as somebody who's using their voice for evil. So, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank well, you. Well, thank you as well to our listeners. Without you, we wouldn't be able to do diversity straight up. And um, as we always say on this show, diversity straight up. Keeping it real. Thank you to our listeners, as we wouldn't be here without your support. Help us grow our subscriber base by sharing our show with others. Love this new episode of Diversity Straight Up brought to you by Green State Credit Union? Then head over to the most popular podcast audio platforms to describe, rate, and review us. And check out our other episodes while you're there. Catch us on our next episode, which drops monthly. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. It's not enough to simply be a leader. Be a global leader by leveraging diversity with equity, inclusion, and engagement. And share your journey. This may empower others to be bold change agents. Be courageous. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Keeping it real. You've been listening to Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Additional support provided by Alliant Energy and the City of Cedar Rapids. For more from the Corridor Business Journal, please visit CorridorBusiness.com. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios.